Amen. Please remain standing if you're able and turn with me to Genesis chapter 42. Genesis 42, page 35 in the Pew Bible. Hear God's holy word. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place until your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live. For I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go. Carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so that your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. 
Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we didn't listen. That is, what, that is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another and saying, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more. And the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest man, men. Leave one of your brothers with me. Take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Last Sunday, as we looked at uh, the end of chapter 41, we saw that God was about to turn the world upside down. The world 
uh, of the ancient Near East, uh, at least. He was going to do that with a seven-year famine. Seven years of prosperity and then seven years of famine that would follow. God was in control of this. This famine that stretched throughout that whole region of the world. God's providence rules the whole world, every single inch of it. He rules over and controls all things. And he does it not in some random way, but with a definite purpose. And his purpose is the redemption of his people. And everything, all things work together for that good redemptive purpose of God. And that includes the terrible things that we've seen unfolding uh, in this story. The evil actions of Joseph's brothers. They're selling him as a slave. Potiphar's wife and all that went on there and her lying accusations that got Joseph thrown in prison. Those many years he spent there in that prison. This is all part of God's perfect plan. God knows exactly what he's doing. Even when the circumstances look horrible, when they are horrible, he is doing good. Good that will bring glory to himself, bring great good to us. And these things are written in the scriptures so that we will come to know and trust the Lord as our God. We can come to know that he is always good. He makes no mistakes. He's always dealing faithfully and mercifully and lovingly with us. So part of God's plan, as we saw, was to exalt Joseph um, from his low place in that pit, in that prison, and bring him to this high position in Egypt. He went from being a prisoner to being at the pinnacle of power in this uh, nation. But he was also a man with plenty of, call it baggage, from the past. In chapter 41, we saw uh, the birth of his children there in Egypt and how that brought him so much joy. Uh, we're told there, Moses makes the comment that those children, the birth of his children, helped Joseph to forget the pain that he had suffered, the pain uh, of all his trials, the pain of being separated from his own father's household. So what that tells us is that he had been suffering and remembering all that pain of separation of his family all that time, all those many years, even in this new high position that he was in, this exalted position, Joseph was still feeling the pain and sorrow of what had happened to him. And in particular, 
the pain of his brother's betrayal of him. And that sets us up for what we're about to see unfolding in our passage today. We see this surprising family reunion between Joseph and his brothers. So the seven years, the seven good years of plenty uh, are in the rearview mirror now. They're in the past, and the people of Egypt and the whole surrounding region are uh, deep into this famine. And it was a severe famine. There was no food. People were starving. No doubt many people did starve. But because God had revealed his plans to Joseph, there was food in Egypt, plenty of food stored up. And word spread about this throughout the region. People came to buy grain. Even back in Canaan, Joseph, or rather Jacob, had heard about this. His family was probably near to starvation as well. And so he said to his sons, what are you doing standing around here looking at each other? Go buy grain. It's for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us so that we can live. Well, that's a hint of what's about to happen. We see God at work setting this all up, even through this incredible famine. Who are they going to have to go to to get grain? Joseph. God's beautiful plan was coming together. And so they all went, except Benjamin. All these brothers went, but Benjamin remained behind. Benjamin was Joseph's full brother, the only one who was a full brother of his. He was Rachel's um, only other child other than Joseph. And he was the favorite. He was uh, the baby. He was the the favorite of his father. Jacob wasn't about to um, lose him, too. He knew that his sons were at least partly responsible for what had happened to Joseph, for the loss of Joseph. He doesn't trust them. Of course, he doesn't know the half of it yet, what they'd done. So they made their trip. The brothers arrived in Egypt, and unbeknownst to them, they come face to face with their long-lost brother, Joseph. He was the one in charge of selling the grain. So they came, had no idea who it was. They bowed before him. And there it is. Did you catch that? They bowed before him. You remember Joseph's dream. This was the fulfillment of Joseph's childhood dream uh, with the, the sheaves of grain and the stars coming and bowing down before him. His brothers were fulfilling those dreams here by coming and bowing down before him. Joseph uh, may have forgotten about the dreams. He seemed to have forgotten about them because suddenly then later he remembers the dreams. But at this point, they're starting to come true and be fulfilled before his very eyes. Joseph must have uh, gasped when he recognized his brothers. Again, they had no idea who he was because he was 
didn't look anything like them. He looked like an Egyptian, clean-shaven. He's dressed uh, like a high-ranking Egyptian official, and he spoke the, the language of Egypt. He must have been very shocked to see them, but he controlled himself. And he decided to pretend he didn't know them. And that's exactly what he did. And you wonder what, what was going through his mind when he saw them. Here they are before him, and he holds the power of life and death over them. He is basically the one who's only under Pharaoh. He's in charge of everything in Egypt. He could have had his vengeance. But he didn't do that. And he didn't act in a, in a petty, vindictive way either, contrary to what some people think as they read what he does next. He's not doing that, but he's testing them. He remembered what his brothers were like. He remembers how horribly they treated him, how they abused him how they sold him into slavery. They could have cared less whether he lived or died. He wants to test them. He wants to see, have they changed? Are they still like that, like they were? And if Joseph had just revealed himself, he would never know if they'd really changed. Because, of course, they'd be so shocked and they'd know they're at his... Uh, disposal. He could have done anything he wanted with them. They would, they would have uh, groveled before him and acted like little repentant angels. And so he doesn't want to let that happen. He, he wants to play this out and put them to this test. So again, he, he, he continues to pretend to be a stranger, and he spoke harshly to them, we're told. He said, where do you come from? And he told them, from Canaan, to buy food. And he accuses them of being spies. And they uh, denied it. Uh, well, of course, it wasn't true, but uh, they vehemently denied it. They said, no, your servants are not spies. We've just come to buy food. We're all the sons of one man. Of course, they say, we're honest men. Well, they were being truthful up to that point anyway. They were not honest men, at least in the past. But they say, we've never been spies. That much was true. And now in the middle of all this, in the middle of this interrogation that Joseph is uh, putting them to, we're told Joseph remembered his dream. Apparently he hadn't remembered up to that point, but then he did. And, and the point is he realized that God was bringing those dreams to reality. And in reality, they were not yet fully fulfilled because his whole family wasn't there yet. His father is not there yet. His brother Benjamin is not yet there. They're still in Canaan. But the fulfillment was happening. Well, the interrogated brothers revealed more information 
Uh, I suppose that could happen if you're being interrogated and you're fearful of what might happen. And so they wanted to clear themselves. And so they told him more about themselves, hoping to convince Joseph that they weren't spies. They said, our youngest brother is back home with our father and the other is no more. And that must have felt like a knife in the heart for Joseph. He just said, he's dead. But he continued on with his, his plan. He kept pretending and kept accusing them of being spies. And then he saw this opportunity to test them. He said, by this you shall be tested. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. I'm going to send one of you and let him bring your brother while the rest of you remain confined so that your words may be tested. And then he put them in prison for three days. Let them stew and think about it. How fitting that was. They had thrown him in a pit against his will. And now he put them in a pit, in a prison, against their will. And those three days seemed to give them time to reflect. Reflect on their own actions. Reflect on their own lives. And to reflect on what they had to do next. They were dreading the thought of going back home and going to Jacob, who already didn't trust them, uh, and he, to tell them that they were going to need to take his favorite son back to Egypt. None of them wanted to break that news to him. And of course, this all reminded them of how they took his other favorite son away all those years earlier, Joseph. Well, after uh, allowing them to, to stew for three days, Joseph summoned them and brought them before him. And he said, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain. He changes the plan. He says, I'm just going to have one of your brothers remain here. The rest of you can go, and I want you to carry grain for your households, but then bring your youngest brother back to me so that your words will be verified you shall not die. Over and over here, we see truthfulness being emphasized. Joseph keeps stressing the need for them to be truthful. Truthful and honest. And of course, this was one of their great sins in the past. Not only did they do what they did to him, they lied about it all. They lied about what they did to Joseph. They lied to their own father, Jacob, and to everyone. And they've been living that lie all these years, ever since. Can you imagine having to live with that for the better part of two decades? Living a lie like that. Well, Moses is highlighting here the, the evil of lying and the importance and the goodness of truth-telling. 
Joseph was also going to test them again to see if they would um, abandon this brother that he was going to hold back, uh, just like they'd abandoned him so many years ago. And so that was his strategy. And he applied that pressure to them. And in verses 21 to 22, we see uh, good came of what he was doing to them. The strategy that he was using, putting his brothers to the test, worked. We see... They admitted their guilt. They spoke to one another and they said, We are guilty concerning our brother. We saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. And now this distress has come upon us. This is why. Because we did this to Joseph. And Reuben said, did I not tell you to not sin against the boy, but you did not listen? So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. Good things were happening here with these men. They acknowledged their sin against Joseph, and they acknowledged the hand of God in all these bad things that were happening to them, all this trouble that they were in. They knew it was from the Lord. They believed God was dealing with them. He was judging them for their sins. It's good that they had a sense of guilt for what they'd done. Guilt is often a blessing from God. Guilt can lead us to seek forgiveness from God and from people that we've wronged. We need guilt in that sense. It does us good. These men were benefiting from that. They knew they were guilty, and they were uh, realizing that they were rightly under the judgment of God. And this is important for them. It's important for them to think through this and come to terms with this. And this is all preparing them for what's going to happen very soon. And that is, it's preparing them to be reconciled to Joseph. Guilt. Not a bad thing. These days, psychology dismisses guilt as uh, just something bad, nothing worth uh, thinking on, something uh, that's just really a negative feeling that you should dismiss and ignore. Don't let it bother you. It'll, it'll hurt you. But in the real world, that's just not so. In the real world, we have relationships that can be damaged, that can be harmed very much. And especially, we have a relationship with God. And our guilt is real as sinful people. And a sense of that guilt 
The knowledge of our guilt is so important. It's something we really need. It is a gift, not a curse. And it's something we should not ignore. Because without guilt, you'll never know your great, great need for God's grace and forgiveness. Well, these men had no idea that Joseph could understand every word they were saying. And so they just kept on talking, but he understood everything. And we're told it really moved him. He turned away from them and wept. Then he got it together and turned back and spoke to them again. This guy was tough. Joseph was tough as nails. He heard their confession. He heard how shaken they were. He was moved to tears hearing these things. But he wasn't going to let them off the hook yet. You can imagine he probably would have liked to have revealed himself to them and hopefully reconciliation could have taken place right then and there, but he's not ready to let them off the hook just yet. And probably they weren't ready either. The testing needed to continue. And so it took this form next. He takes one of them, Simeon, and he bound him before their eyes, put him in chains. He wanted to see their reaction. What would be their attitude? Would they have sympathy for Simeon? Would they be shaken up by this? We're not told how they reacted in that moment, but I have to think that they were fearful and shocked to see this, to see their brother hauled away in chains. And then Joseph telling them to go. Go back to Canaan. You can take food with you, but then he gives them explicit instructions. Do not come back here without Benjamin. They must have been seriously shaken when they left that city. And then Joseph has all their money put back in their sacks. The testing continues. Another test he gives them here. And so the test here seemed to be, oh, what are they going to do now when they find all that money in their bags? Would they make up some lie now again about Simeon and abandon him too now that they've got all this money? Would they do to Simeon like they did to Joseph all those years before? One brother discovered this uh, money in his bag along the way, and we're told their hearts failed them. They trembled. And they said, what is this that God has done to us? And apparently, they didn't all check their bags until they got back home, but once they did, they realized, oh, the money's in all our bags. And they were overcome with fear, we're told. And they told Jacob everything. And they told him how they needed to take Benjamin back in order to set Simeon free. And of course, 
he was not happy. He was devastated by this, and he, he took it out on them. <laughs> he said, you bereaved me of my children. You have done this. He says, Joseph is no more, Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. And that last phrase, all this has come against me. That's just like saying, everything is going wrong. Everything is against me. The whole world is against me. Now, it's good and right for us to be aware that God is working by his providence in our lives and that everything that happens to us is his working, his planning, his purpose. But you should never think that God is against you. That's the sense of what Jacob says here. Everything's against me. Both he and his sons were thinking that way. They were thinking those dark thoughts about God. They thought God was against them. And that was not true. That was not true at all. God was for them. He was all for them. His providence was controlling all these things. It was unfolding perfectly. He had ordained these circumstances, but all for good purposes. He is graciously working in the lives of these men by all these things. Graciously working to bring them to repentance and to bring about reconciliation and to bring about salvation for this whole family that would then become the nation of Israel. Well, we need to live in that awareness, too, that God is providentially at work in our lives, no matter what comes our way, no matter what comes into our lives, even if they might be the worst evils, terrible sufferings. God is not against you. He is for you. And he is doing whatever it takes to draw you to himself so that you'll walk with him, so that you'll know him, so that you'll walk with him in faith and love and in godly fear. Well, you can imagine in that moment there was serious, serious tension between Jacob and his sons. He is not happy with them, and he is not willing to let them take Benjamin. But we see a real change in the character of those sons, especially Reuben. He says something that sounds very rash here, but it's actually really good. He steps up and he says, kill my two sons if I do not bring Benjamin back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. Now, forget about the, 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 the idea of killing his two sons. 
heart and where he's at here. This shows us something of a changed heart. This shows a genuine sorrow and a, and a desire to make things right. This man is taking responsibility for this mess. This is not how these men acted in the past. They hid what they did. They did not take responsibility for their actions at all. God's been doing a work in these men. He's not done yet. We're not seeing a a, a perfect conduct here yet. They haven't confessed everything to their father yet, but there's progress. God's been doing a work in these men, and he's been doing it through these hard circumstances that he's putting them through. Hard circumstances. God can do some good things through them. But still, Jacob's not interested. He's not interested in in going along with this plan. He said, my son shall not go down with you. His brother's dead. He's the only one left. If harm should come to him, you'd basically kill me. So he's, 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 this, this had to sting his sons. Because not only is he he's acting like um, Benjamin is his, his only son, his favorite, and the other sons, he's not even concerned about them. But he's, he doesn't trust them at all. He says, no, I don't trust you. You're not taking him. And the Lord was using those words of Jacob to his sons to chasten them. And they needed to hear that. He had lost trust in them. They deserved those things to be said to them. They needed to hear it. Well, the story's not over. But so far, good things are happening. That first meeting with Joseph for these brothers, that was very beneficial for them. Uh, they didn't feel it at the time. Uh, they, were, they were very shaken and worried and fearful. But it, but it produced a good, healthy, first of all, a sense of guilt in them. And they needed that. And now they're facing up to their guilt and they're accepting responsibility for their sins. That's very important. That's very important for all of us because we are all sinners. And we will be as long as we're alive. And we will sin against God and against others. And so sensitivity to our sin And our guilt is so important. It's right. It's healthy. And it puts us on the path that leads to repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. Guilt is a gift that leads to grace. So the first benefit to them was guilt, that sense of guilt that was so good for them. The second thing is it produced a godly fear in them. 
they were beginning to show a genuine fear of the Lord. They knew it was God who was dealing with them. It was God who was afflicting them, and they were trembling. This was producing a healthy fear of God in them, and that's a good thing. We need that. We need that healthy fear of God, too. It's not a bad thing. It's a positive thing. It will help us so that we will walk in reverence and humility before the Lord. And the last thing we see, the last benefit of this meeting with Joseph or his brothers was this godly sorrow, godly grief, as Paul refers to it. Sorrow over sin that leads to repentance. That's a good kind of sorrow, a good kind of grief. It's a real hatred for your own sin. And it leads you to want to turn from it and sin no more. We're starting to see that in these men. I pray that each of us will have these three graces at work in our lives as well. We need them. A sense of guilt, a sense of the fear of the Lord, and a godly sorrow over our sins. Do you have these? I hope that you don't try to avoid them. If you have them, you are very blessed. These are blessings. These are gifts. God gives these things to humble us and to lead us to know our great need for his grace. And the gospel shows us that God has met that need that we have for his grace. He has met that need gloriously in the finished work of our elder brother, the Lord Jesus. He provided that grace at the cross in his death. He died for sinners, and he lives again. Praise the Lord for him, for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a treasure, and he is always for you. Know that for certain. God in Christ is for you. Always. Let's rejoice in that. Rejoice that He is yours and you are His forever in Christ. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We pray that you would apply these things to our hearts. Apply your word to our hearts and cause it to bear fruit in our lives through your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.